Today, I want us to take a look at why we must keep praying persistently. And the reason I want to do this is because truly prayer is a mystery. There's a lot of things that I don't know about prayer. I don't know how God's sovereignty works with my free will. I don't know how that works. But it does. And yet what I do know is that God has told us to ask. 20 times in the New Testament it says ask, 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 seek, knock, ask, seek, knock. I mean 20 different times. And we know that, that we have a heavenly father that loves us. And we know that God has told us that he will answer our prayers. I mean, there's all kinds of promises in regards to that. My question is this. Why do I have to ask more than once? Why do I have to repeat my prayer again and again and again and again? When I know that my heavenly father loves me, when I know that he's told me that he will answer my prayers... Why do I have to ask it more than once? Because the Bible does tell us to do that. Take a look at this verse out of Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Be persistent in prayer and keep alert as you pray, always giving thanks to God. In other words, keep praying, keep asking, keep seeking. And as you do, whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Though you're resting in the Lord, don't fall asleep. Ask for those future things and be grateful for those things that he's already given you. But why do I have to ask again and again and again? I mean, is it that I have to wear God down? Is it that I have to kind of pull his arm? Is it that I have to harass him to get what I want? Absolutely not. God says, I want you to ask not for my sake, for God's sake, but I want you to ask for your sake. We're going to look at two parables today. Two parables that God, Jesus teaches the exact opposite of us having to wear him down to get, so to speak, what we want. Now, a parable is a story with a point. It is a story with a lesson. It is a story with an insight. It is a story of a truth that God wants us to get about himself. And there are two kinds of parables In the Bible, there are contrasting parables and there are comparing parables. A comparing parable is one that communicates, this is what God is like. A contrasting parable is one that communicates, this is what God is not like. The world, or the people in the world are like this, but I'm like this. The two stories that we're going to look at today are contrasting parables parables. And Jesus is teaching these to help us get rid of the idea that we've got to wear God down to get what we want. So let's unpack these, okay? The first one is in Luke chapter 11, and it's really a chapter that's about prayer. We talked about this one last week, where the disciples came to Jesus to ask them to pray. In fact, take a look at the verse, Luke 11, 1. Once when Jesus had been out praying, his disciples asked, Lord, teach us to pray. They could have asked him anything, but they asked him to teach them how to pray because they finally realized that is where the power came to do all that Jesus did in his life. And Jesus starts off this Lord's Prayer, this model prayer with our Father. And we talked about this last week. 
He did so because he wanted to emphasize that it's not about the words that you use, but rather it is about the relationship that you have. That you have a heavenly father that is unlike all earthly fathers. You have a heavenly father that is absolutely caring and consistent and competent and capable and close. And so he kind of lays that out there in this ideal prayer, this model prayer. And then he tells this story. It is the story of the persistent friend. And let's read this. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you went to your friend's house at midnight and said to him, friend, loan me three loaves of bread. Now stop right there. Would, would you do that? Would you get up in the middle of the night and be pounding on someone's door to just get three loaves of bread? Probably not, okay? Whatever you do, don't do it at my house because I sleep sound when I go to sleep, right? No, this guy is persistent, Okay. And he goes on, a friend of mine has come into town to visit me, but I have nothing for him to eat. Your friend inside the house answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. This guy whispers through the door. He whispers out the window. I can't give you anything. Will you just quit bothering us? My kids are asleep. You're not worth it. I tell you, if friendship is not enough to make him get up, to give you the bread, your boldness will make him get up and give you whatever you need. Now remember, this is a parable of contrast. So I tell you, Jesus says, ask and God will give it to you. Search and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. Now just in case you missed it, Jesus is saying, I'm not like that guy. I'm not like that guy who uh, wouldn't do uh, what his other friend asked for, okay? I'm not like that guy who was bold and was pounding his way. No, I, I, I want to answer your prayers. Jesus teaches a principle here that you and I need to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking because he wants to answer our prayer. Now, he doesn't stop with just one story. He gives us two stories about why you and I should never, ever stop praying for the impossible or whatever it may be. This one is found in Luke 18, 1 through 8. And this is the story of the persistent widow. Let's take a look at this. Then Jesus used this story to teach his followers that they should always pray and never lose hope. Now, stop right there. You're either doing one of those two things. You're either praying or you're losing hope. Or you're not praying. Did I say that right? You're either praying and not losing hope or you're not praying and you're losing hope. If you see that your discouragement quotient is rising, you need to check your prayer life because that's what's going on here. Then he goes on. In a certain town, there was a judge who did not respect God or care about people. In that same town, there was a widow who kept coming to this judge saying, Give me my rights against my enemies. This widow comes again and again and again and again. I've got my rights. I want justice. So this is the judge's response. For a while, the judge refused to help her. But afterwards, he thought to himself, 
even though I don't respect God or care about people, I will see that she gets her rights. Otherwise, she'll continue to bother me until I am worn out. Now remember, this is the same theme as in Luke chapter 11. The Lord said, listen to what the unfair judge said. God will always give what is right to his people who cry to him night and day. And he will not be slow to answer them. I tell you, God will help his people quickly. But when the Son of Man comes again, will he find those on earth who believe in him? Jesus tells two stories about one truth. This one truth was so important that Jesus told two stories about it. About why you and I should never, ever stop praying, so to speak, for the impossible. Uh, he never wants us to get to a point and saying, you know what? This is not going to happen. I'm just going to quit praying about it. Now, here's the contrast. God listens to you. He cares. Even if your friends don't. Even if others don't. Even if your family doesn't. Even if the government is unsympathetic. Even if others, and others or government doesn't have time for you, God does. God says, I'm not like them. I am eager to answer your prayers. I know you're sitting here and thinking, well, George, <laughs> that's a good story. But please answer the question. Why doesn't God answer my prayer the very first time when I ask him? Why is it that I have to keep asking and seeking and knocking? Well, the Bible gives us a number of reasons why. And I would have us know that none of them are about convincing God. That all of them are about you and me. And the first reason that we must persist in prayer is that it keeps my attention focused on God. When you pray over the impossible again and again and again, where is your attention? It's focused on God, isn't it? Now you've heard me say this before. That attention is the greatest gift that you can give somebody. Uh, if you are married or, or if you have kids, the greatest gift that you can give your spouse or the greatest gift you can give your kids is your attention because attention is your time and time is your life. And when you give your attention, you are giving your time and you are communicating this. You matter to me. Now, here's what I want to tell you. And it's no surprise. We crave attention, do we not? We crave attention. We want people to pay attention to us, especially those who are close to us. Well, guess what? So does God. You see, I've I told you this earlier, that God is constantly thinking about you. Do you remember when you were going through middle school and you had a crush on that significant other? Remember that? I know, ancient history for some of us how you looked at them and you paid attention to them and you talked to them and you may have even sent cards to them and they wouldn't give you the time of day. How did that make you feel? That hurt you, didn't it? You see, God says, I want your attention. 
One of the reasons that God loved King David was that David constantly looked to the Lord. Take a look at Psalms 25, verse 15. My eyes are continually looking to the Lord for help, for he alone can rescue me from all the traps. Now, folks, we know and understand as we travel down this road of life that there are all kinds of traps out there. But wouldn't it be cool that if you and I were in contact with God so much so that we could avoid them? It would be like you and I on on a windy mountain road, okay, with a semi in front of us. And we're wanting to pass, but we don't know what's ahead. And yet there's a helicopter up there that we're, hey, 10-4 helicopter, dude. Hey, can I pass now? Wouldn't that be cool if if that exists? Well, it does. God says, focus your attention on me. And guess what? I'll rescue you from the traps of life. Take a look at Psalms 105, verse 4. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face constantly. How often should we seek his face? Will you circle the word constantly? So let me ask you this question. Do you talk to God more when you have a need? Sure you do. Sure you do. Why? Because that need focuses you on God. The second reason that we have to wait is this. It teaches me something about myself. Now, this is mind-blowing. When you and I have to wait for answered prayer, it not only teaches us some things about God, okay, but it also teaches us some things about ourselves. Truly, the three most important prayers that I have ever prayed in my estimation One, I had to wait 21 years. One, I had to wait 19 years. And the other one, I had to wait seven years. I I prayed seven years for land to build LifePoint Church. I waited 19 years to come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I talked to God about it a lot, even though I wasn't a Christian yet. And it took me 21 years to talk to God about the woman that I wanted to marry, okay? God had to make sure I got saved first, okay? And you may sit here and say, well, why does it take so long to pray over those kinds of things? It was because, at least here, as I was working on my prayers, God was working on me. You see, there are a number of tests that happen when you are praying persistently. When you are praying over what appears to be an impossible situation. Things that God wants to reveal about you. We see this out of Zechariah. Take a look at Zechariah 13.9. I will test and purify them as silver is purified by fire. I will test them as gold is tested. Then they will pray to me and I will answer them. Have you ever wondered why you go through the fires of life? It's a test. It's a test. How do you test Gold and silver. I'll I'll tell you how you do it. You throw it in a furnace, you heat it up to thousands of degrees, and as it melts, the dross, the impurities, come to the top. And the metalsmith, what he does then is he skims off the impurities. And he knows that it's pure when he can see the reflection of his face in it. God wants to see his face in you. He wants to see his mind in you. He wants to see his heart in you. And then it says 
They will pray to me and I will answer. Notice when the answer comes. After the test. So will you write this down? God is going to test you before he blesses you. God says it's a test. You're going to learn some things about yourself. Well, Pastor George, what am I going to learn? You're going to learn four things through waiting, through persistent praying. One is this. You're going to learn about your desires. Praying persistently tests my desires. And the question that you need to ask yourself is simply this. What do I really want? You see, when you start to pray, and you're beginning to get maybe a little bit of glimpse of hope, because when you pray, your hope starts to rise. Honestly, as you do that, your prayers are going to change. They're going to evolve. They're going to grow. Persistent praying tests our desires. Now, everybody has desires. The reason that we have desires is because God has given them to us. He's put them inside of us. But desires can be misused or abused. Sex is a good desire. It's a normal desire. But it can be misused and abused, right? In fact, all the gifts that God has given us can be misused or abused. Water in a certain amount in my bathtub is moi. But those jacuzzi things, you know, it's just, wow, this is great. But 50 inches of rain in five days, you get a Houston flood. So what does God do? He builds parameters around it. Again, in regards to sex. Sex is not dirty. It's holy. Sex is more important than what you think. It's also less important than what you think. Now that I have your attention, okay, I knew this would get it, right? You can have good desires and you can have bad desires. You can have healthy desires and you can have unhealthy desires. You can have helpful desires and you can have unhealthy desires. You can have righteous desires and you can have unrighteous desires. When you and I pray persistently, those things start to filter themselves out. And you and I begin to discern the good desires from the bad desires. Now let me let you in on something. When you ask for a desire just one time, understand this. That was just a whim. God is not interested in granting your whims. God is interested in granting your deepest desires. I think the greatest time of the year that illustrates this is at Christmas time. I love Christmas time. It's my favorite time of the year, starting at Thanksgiving, all the turkey. And as you can tell, I, I'm kind of a fat, plump turkey. And, and, and I love Christmas. And this Christmas, my granddaughter, Isley, sat down with me with several, you know, toy catalogs. You know how they send them to you all the time? She says, Grandpa, Grandpa, sit down. I want to show you something. Oh, okay. So I'm sitting there. And she turns the page and she points to something. Grandpa, I, I want this. And I went, huh? Gra Grandpa, I want this. Huh? And then she turned the page. Well, Grandpa, I want this. Huh? Grandpa, I want this. Huh? 
after a while, she's learning. Grandpa, what is it that you want me to have? You see, she figured out that I didn't want to be viewed as a cash cow. That was just going to answer every whim. No, I wanted to be viewed as something different. Something like a person who is going to give us, give her her greatest desire. God wants to give you your greatest desire. And he wants to know if it's him. You see, I didn't want her, my granddaughter, to just be the cash cow. I wanted her to want me. And by the way, grandma's number one and I'm still number two. But that's a different story. Take a look at this verse though. Psalms 37 verse 4. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Holy moly, God's not stingy at all. He is just testing you and I. I'm only going to give you the desire of your heart. The second reason that we persist in prayer deals with our priorities. He's testing my priorities. And the question you want to ask yourself is, what's most important to me? You see, when you and I pray about something repeatedly, again and again and again, it clarifies what you really want. You see, I would ask you this question right now in your life. What is it that you really want out of life right now? What is most important to you right now? I'll tell you what it is. And we, even have, we haven't even had conversations yet. It's what you worry about the most. Whatever you're worrying about the most right now is what's most important to you. Now, you've heard me say this before. If you are a follower of Christ and you and I worry, we are acting like atheists. We are acting like we don't have a heavenly father that's caring, that's consistent, that's capable, that's competent across the board. That is why I say if it's worth worrying about, then it's worth praying about. And truly, if you and I would pray more than we were, or if we prayed about those things that we worried about, we would worry less. Jesus talks about this out of Matthew 6, 33. Why be like unbelievers who worry about everything? Your heavenly Father already knows all your needs, and he will give you all you need if your first concern is to live for his kingdom. Will you circle the phrase, already knows all your needs? Folks, when you and I pray over and over and over again, we do so not because we're trying to harass Jesus or convince God. He already knows. He just wants us to understand why we were made. He wants us to understand what our purpose is in life. That we've been made by God and for God. That we have been made to be a part of his family locally. That's why we stress membership and globally. That he wants you to serve. That he wants you to be more. He wants you to be concerned about his cause and not just your cause. Now listen, when your priorities line with God's purposes, he answers prayer. When your priorities are not right, he doesn't. Pastor George, I've been praying about this for a long, long time. Okay, maybe 
you need to think about you. Because God says, when my, when my priorities are right, and when my desires are right, you and I will get an answer. Take a look at Psalms 84, verse 11. No good thing will the Lord withhold from those who do what is what? Right. God says, when you're living right, when your attention is on me, when your priorities are my priorities, will you circle no good thing? So let me ask you this question. What is out of order in your life? What is out of whack with your priorities? Is social media more important than praying? Is watching cable news 24-7 more important than reading God's Word? Is going out celebrating Saturday night, St. Pat's Day, more important than waking up Sunday morning and celebrating who Jesus is? God says, no good thing will I withhold from those who do what is right. The third thing is this. Persistent praying teaches or tests my maturity. Now, folks, this is a big one. When we ask God and God doesn't give it to us quickly, he is testing our maturity. He is testing our character. He is testing our response. If you tell a toddler, hey, not now, later, what is their typical response? I know what it is. I've seen it at the mall with parents. Ah! And mom and dad came in and they, they do it immediately, okay? They can't wait. Do you know what our number one problem is in life? It's the first attribute of love. Love is patient. We don't want to wait. We don't want to delay our gratitude. We want everything given to us instantly. But praying persistently tests my maturity. So will you write this down? Delay is not denial. And mature people know the difference. Toddlers don't. But mature people know that delay doesn't mean that God has said no. So let me say this again. God wants to meet your deepest needs. And he has promised that he would. But, but God is more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. You are not going to be able to take your comfort into eternity future. You're only going to be able to take your character. You're not going to be able to take your cash, and you're not going to be able to take your china. And so I say this, if you're going to move, just leave it where it's at, because you're not going to take it with you, right? Uh, oh, take it, because guess what it does? When you move it from house to house, it builds your character. Cheryl, why are we taking this? Because I want it. Oh, okay. You know, oh boy, it's, it's hard, it's hard. Patience. One of the qualities of Christ is patience. How do you grow in patience? Well, let's get real practical, okay? You go down to Austin. I had to do a memorial service down in Austin on I-35. A wreck in the, you know, they got, they're working on it. They always work on that. Am I complaining right now? <laughs> you, you get one complaint a Sunday, right? So, Mercy alive. Took us forever to get there. Then there were two wrecks going back. Traffic. 
can I say Department of Motor Vehicles? There's another one. Doctor's office? Letting my wife drive. Or you following my wife. If it says 40, she goes 39. Cheryl, it's easier to get permission than it is, or it's easier to get forgiveness than it is to get permission. When they say 40, they really mean 43 or 44. <laughs> patience. Folks, you learn patience as you pray persistently for those things that are deep desires in your heart. It is a test of your maturity. It is a test of your heart. It is a test of your character. I want you to get this. So I want you to kind of do a flashback. Do you remember, for those of you who are parents, do you remember how you felt the first time you let your child fall asleep without you going in there? Remember how you felt about that? You felt like you were a terrible parent. They're going to grow up and think I'm a murderer, a torturer. But do you remember how they learned that they weren't going to die? Question, was that important in their development? Well, sure it was. They began to understand and grow up and understand that the world wasn't going to revolve around them. There wasn't going to be someone there to wipe their nose or wipe their little butts when they were in trouble. Let me, let me, let me give you another one. Do you remember the first time you thought, or you thought your kids were mature enough that you could leave them alone by themselves while you went out on a date? Just one hour. Remember how nervous you were? You remember how you thought, man, I'm, I'm just a bad parent. You remember how many phone calls you made back? Hey, is everything okay? Is everything okay? Question. Was that event, no matter how nervous and painful it was for you, was that important in their development and becoming mature? Well, sure it was. I want you to get this. When God thinks you're mature enough, he's going to let you go through a period of time where you feel all alone and you don't sense God's presence. And the question will be, am I going to depend on my feelings or am I going to depend on who God is and what God has said? What is hope? Hope is when you and I stop listening to our feelings and we start listening to the word of God, praying over the promises of God as we fall on the very character of of God. And there will be times in your life where you will not sense God's presence. And when that is the case, <laughs> congratulations, because he deems that you are mature enough to handle it. You see, when we don't sense God's presence in our life, there are two tests that we will go through. Probably more, but these are the two that come to my mind. One is this, how will I respond to no supervision? And secondly, when I pray, and I don't get that quick answer that I want, will I throw a tenter tantrum? It is a test. And he did this with King Hezekiah. To 
Take a look at 2 Chronicles 32, 31. God left Hezekiah on his own for a while to see what he would do. God wanted to test his heart. You see, before God answers your prayer of the impossible, whatever that might be, he's going to test your heart. He did that with Daniel, if you remember, and he did that with the Israelites. But now here's the cool thing. When God tests you, it's to approve you. In other words, he wants you to be successful. And so he will let you take that test again and again and again. And it's not like some classes, hey, you, you flunked the test, you're out. You know, like you're going through college, hey, there's one exam, you flunk, you're out, right? God's not that way. He will let you take the test again and again and again because he wants you to succeed. He did this with the Israelites. They were in the, the wilderness for 40 years, and they went through seven tests. Take a look at this in Deuteronomy 8.2. The Lord led you through the wilderness for 40 years, humbling and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would really obey his commands. When God delays an answer, it's a test. It's a test of, uh, of your desires, of your priorities, and of your maturity. Now let's all get real honest here. When I pray, and my guess is when you pray, what we really want God to do is remove the symptoms when God wants to remove the cause. And that always takes longer. Let me put it a different way because I believe in creative redundancy. When things aren't going well, when you're not living the good life and you're just living an okay life, what we really want is we want God to make everything happy. God, give me the happy pill, okay? And we don't want him necessarily to clear up our relationships or deepen our character or change us. We want God to remove the symptoms. We want God to change the circumstances. We don't want him to change us. Let me put this another way with creative redundancy. What we want is, what we want is an easy one-time prayer where God wants to heal the disease that's in us, that's in our relationships, that's in our marriages with our kids. And the question that you and I must ask when we are in that impossible situation is, am I willing to let God change me instead of changing the circumstances? And I would have us know that that question is the question of surrender. And the question of surrender always comes up in the impossible situations. Am I willing to change? Am I willing to have an attitude adjustment? Am I willing to change my behavior? Am I willing? This is the point of surrender. Take a look at Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Give yourself completely to God to be used in the hands of God for his good purposes. God, I want to be honest with you. I really want this. But I want what you want for me. Isley, my granddaughter. Grandpa, what is it that you want me to have? I want your heart, Isley. 
I want your hands. I want your feet. I want your mouth. I want your mind. God comes to us. And he says, do you want me? Or am I just your cash cow? Finally, the last thing is this. It's a test of our faith. Will I trust my feelings or will I trust my heavenly father? Again, certain hope is when you and I stop listening to our feelings and we start listening to God's word, praying over the promises of God, falling on the character of God. And God is a good, good father all the time. And all the time, you and I have a good, good father. You see, God came to Jeremiah, as we talked about, I think, in week one of this. He came to Jeremiah to communicate to him, to communicate to his people, to, to Daniel as well, and says, I've got... I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God says, I've got good plans. They are good, good plans. And I'm not going to abandon them. I'm going to, I am going to wait until it is the right time because they are excellent. And it took God 70 years to turn the hearts of his people back towards him. And when that happened, God turned an unbeliever's heart, King Cyrus, towards God's people and said, now you can go back home. And so I say this, don't ever give up on your desires and your dreams. Those things that you're thinking that are impossible. In you, in your marriages, in your families, with your kids. Paul said it like this in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not get tired of doing what is right, for at the right time, will you circle that? We will, will you circle that phrase? Reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. So how does God, as we end, answer prayer? Well, this is pretty explanatory, self-explanatory. Let me give you the words very quickly. First word is no. Second word is grow. Third word is slow. And last word is go. When my request is not right, God says no. When... I, when the timing's not right, God says, slow. When I'm not right, God says, grow. But when my request and the timing and my character are all lined up, God says, go. And as we conclude this series, our first one on personal renewal, I want to end with this verse. In Ephesians 6, 8, pray at all times and on every occasion in the power of the Holy Spirit. Always stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all Christians everywhere. Will you circle the words all, every, always, and all?
That sounds to me that God wants us to be praying all the time. And it sounds to me that God wants us to be praying not just for ourselves, but he wants us to be praying for other people. The who and the what. Thumb, closest to our hearts, friends and family. Index finger, those who point the way. Middle finger, not for those who just tick you off, but, but for the influencers of the world. It stands the tallest. Ring finger is the weakest finger for those who are weak, sick. Little finger, for ourselves. We pray for people's hearts. We pray that God gives our leaders wisdom. We pray for those influencers that they will be people of integrity. We pray for the weak that God would bring healing, meet their needs. And most of that is relational, to be honest. And then last one, we pray for our own prosperity. Easter's coming. Let's pray for our community. Let's take those cards and let's use them. Let's start praying for that, I don't know, aunt and uncle, grandma and grandpa, that neighbor next door, the person, your teacher, your, the, your soccer coach. Let's start praying for them and let's invite them. And then let's pray for our church family and then let's pray for ourselves. Let's always be praying. Let's pray. Lord, I really thank you. I thank you that you love us so much that you create needs in our life that we would long for you constantly. That we would see that in those needs that you are our sufficiency. That you're the God of all resources. That in you we can have everything that, w that is a true desire in our heart, God. And would it be so in us, your people who are called by your name? We, may we be those who, Lord, step outside of our comfort zones. And though we have our own needs, we would pray. We would pray for others in our church family. We would pray for others in our community. Knowing that as we take up the cause for others, that you will take up our cause as we talk to you about them. And that if there is a delay, it doesn't mean denial. That you're working. That you're working in us and you're working in that other situation to bring those two together so that a miracle can be birthed. And so God, we give you this. We trust in you. You are our heavenly father. You are a good, good father. And you are a good father all the time. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.